And we want to welcome all the people watching by live stream today, those many that were afraid that they would melt if they dared face the rain. We are hope they are safe and secure, but glad they're watching today. Hey, turn your Bibles with me, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. And uh, before I get into my message, I, I want to show you a little video clip from a proud grandfather. My grandson just turned one, and he's just starting to walk. So uh, share this little fun moment with me. Looks like me, doesn't he? <laughs> Sounds like grandma there. Give Henry a big hand. He did great, didn't he? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, the series is called Jesus Said What? And it's intended to be a little bit of a surprise because how many know the world is real confused about what Christ said and what he's done? Uh, I want to talk to you about the relevance of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount literally formed the borders, the morality of Western civilization. That's a big, big statement. Jesus taught us about right and wrong. We'll learn dozens of subjects in these few short chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But I tell you, as I look at the hopeful confirmation of Judge Kavanaugh, it deeply troubles me about our nation. As we search for justice, as we have embraced situation ethics, do whatever you have to to get what you want. If this frustrates you as you see America today, the change in morality in America, the change in right and wrong, what's happened is we have lost a biblical morality to guide us as a nation. But how many know we can't control other people, but if for me in my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. And uh, I'm going to let the words of Jesus speak to me. Uh, last week, if you were here, we talked about our witness to the world. Jesus used the phrase salt and light. We talked about the purpose of the Old Testament. We talked about the act of murder, the sixth commandment. And then we talked about what Jesus said about anger and the equivalence of anger with the outburst with, with murder in our hearts. Well, today I want to look at some very touchy subjects from the words of Jesus. We're going to talk about adultery, lust, and divorce. And touchy to all of us. Um, I thought when I was preparing this, I said, man, this might be a good one just to say, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, and let's have a donut and go home. <laughs> but you know what? You're better off if you hear the words of the Lord. I want to very much encourage you, though, if you're here today, as I know many of us are, you have gone through a pain of divorce. Let me tell you this, friends, you're not a second-class citizen because you've gone through this painful experience. Don't let Satan condemn you. If you have asked for God's forgiveness for mistakes in your past, I mean, no, all sins are equal in the eyes of God. God doesn't grade sins the way that we do. Listen, if there has been adultery in your marriage, don't let Satan beat you up over it. I mean, no, if you brought it to the cross, that's where we leave it today. But yet at the same time, let's challenge ourselves from the words of the Bible to live a holy life, to live the life that God would, would have us to live. Uh, my approach today, very simple. We're going to look, first we're going to build a foundation from the book of Genesis about what marriage is. Then we're going to look at what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at a couple upper, other supporting scriptures, and then I'm going to give you some help to uh, live in the way that the Lord wants us to live. My hope today is that you will join me and embrace sexual purity. If you're a single person, that you'll be pure before you marry. And if you're married, that you will have an exclusive relationship of intimacy with your spouse. Secondly, I hope that you will join me in fighting lust in your heart. And that you will join me in loving a commitment to love your spouse and, uh, and to not divorce them. Let's begin Genesis chapter 2. Punch your neighbor and say, maybe I should stay home today. 
<laughs> no, it's going to be a good one today. Genesis chapter 2. Uh, God is the creator. The book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. It tells us about the pre-existence of God. It is the starting place for true science. The creator God didn't need a, 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 a secular big boom. How many know God could do it all on his own? It was a big blast when God created the heavens and the earth, and then God created man. And we pick up the story of Genesis 2. The man gave names to all the animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper. Here's the word, a companion. No companion was there for Adam. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man, and he said, Whoa, man, this is a woman. But notice he took it, her from his rib to be his partner to journey through life. He didn't take uh, part of Adam's foot to give him a slave. He didn't take part of Adam's head or brain to give someone to rule over him, but a partner to share life with. Notice what it said, verse 24. This passage quoted throughout the New Testament. That is why a man, masculine, leaves a father and mother united to his wife, a biological woman, and they become one flesh. Uh, God's intent for marriage, that when you decide to marry someone, it's not flippant, it's not lighthearted. You don't just go to a party or go on a cruise and meet someone and say, I love you, uh, let's be married. No, you make a commitment that lasts for life. You make vows, and for God, it's lifelong and it's exclusive. It's just, in my case, John and just Linnell for the balance of our days. But there's four purposes in marriage. And the first one is companionship. It is the helper. It is the one to complete one another. It is someone to share life with, to share our dreams, our hurts, our fears, our successes. I suggest to you they're better shared together. A second big purpose of marriage is to bear children, to provide the family, and in that family provide both male and female role models. I suggest to you your children will benefit and best be related if they have a, a, a biological woman and a biological man in their marriage, showing them how that gender is to behave and live their lives. Uh, God designed us that way. The third purpose of marriage, and these are brief, experience the joy of physical intimacy. Uh, God designed the male and female anatomy and its pleasure zones. God put it in our heart to desire that, and sex is not dirty. But God put a boundary around sex. When I was a boy, we raised cows on the farm, and my job was to walk around the fences regularly to make sure a tree hadn't fallen or something broken through, because then, then something unnatural would happen. The cows would get out. They could get run over by the train, or someone might shoot them, or they might hit a car. A car might hit them. But that fence was there as a design protection for our cows in a similar fashion. God put a fence around marriage. He blessed the, 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 the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. Sex is not dirty. It is holy, and it's designed to be practiced in a lifelong committed relationship. Having said that, the Bible says that sex in its beauty within the marriage is described as sin outside of the marriage. For the uh, heterosexual fornication, a single person having sex with someone other than their, well, they're not married, they're single, it's a sin. Adultery, in the case of a marriage, if I have sex with someone other than my wife, and Jesus will take it a step further into lust. Jesus said that that's a sin. Uh, homosexuality, any practice of a same-sex relationship, uh, uh, the Bible depicts from Genesis to Revelation as a sin. A bestiality, sex with an animal, all these things. 
The Bible didn't mention pornography, but I suggest to you it's one of the most dangerous things in terms of destroying your sexual purity because it awakens desire. Pornography will take you to places you don't want to go. Pornography will not enhance your marriage. It will destroy your marriage. It will bring comparison in your marriage. It will, it will turn what should be a loving act into a lust-motivated act. The fourth thing about marriage is marriage is a picture, and, and we forget this, but marriage is a witness to the world of Christ and His church. There's a spiritual dimension to your marriage. Ephesians 5 Paul quotes the Old Testament in Genesis and says, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But then he says this mystery is profound, but I'm saying that marriage between man and a woman refers to Christ and the church. Christ is the bridegroom. We collectively is the church, the bride of Christ. There is a spiritual representation of your committed marriage through your days to the integrity of the, of the Bible and the Christian message. Listen, I'd like to honor today any that are here that have been married for 25 years or longer. Would you stand to your feet, please? Say, I have been married 25 years or longer. Come on, stand to your feet with me right quick. And let's just, let's just give these people a hand and remain standing just a moment. I have been married 25 years or longer. And let me say this to you. You are a testimony. You're a testimony to your family. You are a testimony to the church, a testimony to the world. You are not perfect. Marriage has its ups and downs, but you have and are weathering the storm. And I don't know about you, but I want to end my days. Well, I prefer to end my days by Jesus coming and taking us. <laughs> but if he doesn't, I'd like to put my feet in bed one night with my wife that I've been married to all my, uh, for the last, in this case, 35 years. And I would like my testimony to be that we never, ever quit on one another. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Now, with that foundation, let's get into what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 5, adultery and lust. Lust feeds adultery, and adultery undermines trust, and trust is the glue that holds marriage together. You don't have to divorce if adultery is there, but it makes it difficult. And I want to commend you that have had adultery in your home, that have stayed with your marriage. I commend you for working through the difficulty. Let's begin Matthew 25, the words of Jesus. And Jesus said, You have heard that it was said. He's now quoting the Old Testament that says the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. It used to adorn the walls of our public buildings and our schools when, when the morality of the Bible defined us as a culture, but we've long since thrown that away. Jesus said this, he took it a step deeper. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And the same is true, of course, for the woman. And please don't uh, tell anybody, but I would imagine today that the person wearing your shoes, by that definition, is an adulterer. So how many know that brings it down to another level that Jesus said when lust is in our heart. But then he, verse 29 and 30, he underscores the seriousness of it. It's hard for me to see seriousness in adultery when I look at it every day on television, when I see it in movies, when I hear it in song. But Jesus said this after he's talked about lust and adultery. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Now, this is not literal language. This is an exaggerated uh, verbiage. This is a hyperbola. But what Jesus is trying to say is this is a serious matter. Now, how many know if you pluck out your eyes, you can still have lust in your heart? 
Sure it is. So what he's trying to do is say, this is serious. And then he says the same thing about your hand, verse 33. 30, 30, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And then he says it's better for you to lose one of your members or your hand than your whole body go to hell. A serious, serious un, uh, statement that, uh, that adultery and lust are, are serious. Now let's go back and look at when Jesus said, you've heard it said, and he quotes the Old Testament, one of the Ten Commandments. What is the purpose of the Old Testament law? Jesus is now is, 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 is on this mountain, the Sermon on the Mount, speaking to uh, uh, disciples, Pharisees alike. Well, Galatians tells us that the law, the Old Testament law, was our tutor or our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ so we may be justified by faith. Now, let's leave that on the screen just a moment. Justification means that I'm declared righteous when I stand before God. It, it, the Old Testament was given to show you every perfect standard that God had to show you two things. Number one, God is righteous. And number two, we can never do enough righteous things to get to heaven. Nobody is perfect. And even if you have not had an adulterous relationship, you've had lust in your heart. And Jesus said, all men are sinners. All women are sinners. Therefore, all of us need a Savior. So see, the Old Testament law points us to Christ and Jesus, the need for a Savior. Jesus took it deeper and he said, this stuff in the heart is real. Adultery begins in our heart when we look lustfully. Uh, lustful desires are as sinful as the act. That's why we need a Savior. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to give us power to be sexually pure. Uh, lust is more than noticing that someone's attractive. I'm sure you like my shirt today. But liking my shirt, come on now, or the dress that someone's wearing, or whatever the case is, a look at someone is not, is not lustful. But lust is very deliberate. Lust, uh, lust means that, that I desire a sexual relationship. Lust awakens a forbidden desire. Uh, adultery will never happen unless you nurture lust in your heart. Now let me read a supportive scripture that's tremendous. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1. Paul said this, and he's speaking to believers at large. We, we taught you how to live a life in a way that will please God. God wants you to be holy and stay away from sexual sins. Let me tell you a little bit about my relationship with God. When I was saved as a 19-year-old boy, I came to Jesus because I was lonely, because I was scared. The props of my life were taken away. Uh, I was in the Navy. I was by myself, and I thought I was a self-made man, but I quickly realized I need God. I didn't come to God because of heaven. I didn't come to God because I was scared of sin. I, I came to God because I needed help. And over time, my relationship as I began to grow, I began to do the right things because I wanted God to bless me. I'd obey commandments, I would give my tithe, I'd do these things because I wanted God to do something good for me. But then my relationship with grown a step further is, I, I'm not just after God's hand, I'm after His heart. And today I do things to please the Lord. Not because I want Him to do something for me, but because I love Him. And I want, him to, I, I want to love Him for just who He is. And one of those things of purity is a sexually pure life. Uh, my love for my wife, uh, Linnell, uh, <laughs> I've got these uh, gardenia bushes and they're in their second bloom and they just smell, there's nothing like it on earth, no perfume I've ever smelled. And uh, they're blooming now and every day I, I, I'm out early in my prayer and I pick one, put it on Linnell's car seat just because I know she's going to smile. Uh, I, I don't have to do it, I'm not asking her to do something for me. 
Uh, when Linnell uh, travels, she does a lot of missions work. And uh, when she goes away, I know Linnell likes a clean house, which includes clean dishes. <clears throat> and I'm of the mind that God made big sinks to hold all the dishes in your cabinet. Uh, I'm of the mind a dish doesn't need washing until the dishwasher's full. Come on, how many guys can say, I, I, I'm with you there, Pastor? Sure. I mean, I think, I, you know, if my wife didn't like ceramic plates, we'd probably use plastic every day. But I don't, I'm, I'm out for the planet. But you know what I'm talking about. Well, anyway, she's getting ready to come home. Well, I'm not going to leave those dishes piled up because that woman needs to get here because I need a housekeeper. <laughs> I'm not leaving those dishes because I didn't marry a housekeeper. Go ahead now. All right. I'm going to do those dishes. And not because I'm scared she's going to beat me up when I'm in the middle of the, in the, middle of the night. I do it because I love her. And I want you to understand there's some things that if you'll grow in your relationship with God, your relationship with God is not just about you, but it's about you and Him and making Him happy. Well, this is what Paul said about uh, you can please God by staying away from sexual sins. Um, God wants each of you to learn to control your own body. Learn to control it, which means it's possible in a way that's holy and honorable. Uh, now, let me say this. The younger you are, the stronger your hormones are, are acting. But let me say this. When you're 60, they're still acting. And I had a friend who was 80, a Christian, and I asked him, I said, do you ever get over this lust and the temptation? He said, sorry, nope. <laughs> it's a challenge all your days, but you can learn to control your body in a way that's holy and honorable. Look at verse 6. Don't wrong or cheat another Christian. What does that mean? That means if I sleep with your wife, that I am sinning against my friend, my brother, your husband. But then there's a warning again. And let me know just because God hadn't judged doesn't mean He won't judge. The Bible says the Lord will punish people who do these things as we've already warned you. And this last verse 8, the person who refuses to obey this teaching is disobeying God. So let me get into a helpful part now. How do we control lust and sexual sin? I'll suggest to you that willpower alone is not enough. Otherwise, your New Year's resolutions would all be kept. Now, when you go to the gym for a period of time, what happens? You're going to become stronger if you're lifting weights. Now, if you just go to the smoothie bar at the gym, nothing's going to happen. But if you lift weights... If you do the elliptical, you're, you're, you're going to become a stronger person. Well, in the same way, if you want to be able to say no to temptation, don't focus on no, 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 no. You get stronger spiritually. You get in the Bible. You pray. You serve the Lord. You, come on, work out spiritually. And before you know it, you've got a greater power to say no to those things that you can't do on your own. Here, that was a good one now. Here's the second one. You and I need to control what we see and hear. You know why God put a fast-forward button on your remote? Because you're smart enough to know what the sex scene is coming. Come on now. And your flesh wants to watch it. Don't say amen too loud. How about, how about oh me? Yeah, your flesh wants to watch it, but your spirit man saying, hit that button and go ahead and hit it three or four times just in case. Are, are you with me today? But pastor, I missed the plot of the movie. You may be fooling yourself, but you're not fooling me. 
Pornography, the stats are skyrocketing. How many Christians watch pornography? Pornography will not help your marriage. Pornography will only bring comparison. It will only feed your lust. And you will not be participating in an act of love with your spouse. You will be participating in a lustful experience. Pornography is bad. Here's the third way if you want to control lust. Be careful where you go. Listen, be careful where you go. I bet you the waitresses uh, dress differently at Hooters than they do at Olive Garden. But pastor, their hamburgers are so good. You should have stayed home this morning. I'm not letting you get away with that. Let me give you another one. Avoid being alone with someone you're attracted to. Duh. I would quit my job if I was in a situation where I had to travel with someone that I was attracted to and couldn't avoid it. I would quit my job before I had adultery against my spouse. You have to be careful who you're with. I've adop- I, I, and I encourage our pastors to do the same. Adopt a standard that, listen, you're just never going to be alone with someone of the opposite sex, whether you're attracted to them or not. It just helps to build a boundary. You know, and, and listen, you say, well, you're prudish. Well, I may be a prudish. I'm in the same camp as Pre- uh, Vice President Pence. But as he said, I've been married to the same woman 35 years. Neither one of us, come on, has had an active adulterous affair. Neither one of us have, you know, had an affair with some other person. It works. Fences work. Let me, before I move on, let me underscore how, uh, the, the, the Bible's condemnation of, of, of adultery is both serious and universal. The Ten Commandments ban adultery. The prophets say it attracts God's anger and judgment. Proverbs says adultery is a way to destroy yourself. And the New Testament says unless there's repentance, adultery can keep people out of God's kingdom. So let me say this. With this mentality that I'm proposing you today, it, it, it's like the, the rains, when it rains a lot and the creek and streams are flowing hard, you and I are paddling against that stream. If you're going to commit to a spiritually, uh, to a, a pure, sexually pure life today, you've got to know that it's against the culture. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to demean you. They're going to make fun at you. Listen, let them make fun of you. Uh, listen, I, I, if I could live my life again, I would not have had wild teenage years. I would have kept myself pure until I married Linnell and I'd continue in my purity. Come on, somebody say, praise the Lord. Well, first part's over. You think it's hard for you to listen to this? Come up here and get on my side and try saying all this stuff. (laughs) Let's look at divorce now. Um, Again, lust feeds adultery. And adultery is one of the leading causes of divorce. Jesus gave two verses in the Sermon on the Mount. But what I'd like to do is read Matthew 19, where he adds four more verses to make it a little longer. Matthew 19, verse 3. The Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? There's a legitimate question. In ancient Judaism, there were two schools of rabbinic thought. One, the school of Hillel that said, this was a rabbi that said, you can get divorced for any reason. I mean, if she can't cook microwave popcorn, you can get rid of her. But on the flip side, another rabbi called Shammai said, no, no, no. The the legitimate reasons for divorce where God would bless a, 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 a second marriage are very narrow in scope. It's applied to strictly uh, a uh, sexual immorality. And that's what Jesus said. But notice now, before he answers the question, when Jesus is talking about marriage, he goes back to the book of Genesis. And Jesus said, have you not read, Genesis 2, that God who created them from the beginning made them male and female. 
Now let me, let me say this tonight, uh, this morning. Our world today is not helping gender-confused people. Our world today is basically saying you can defy the way that God created you, your anatomy as a man or a woman, and you can become God and decide your own gender and identity. Sadly, in some non-Bible Belt places, there are preschools, uh, kindergartens that are teaching children, elementary age, that you can choose if you're a boy or a girl. And now everything, we, we're losing the identity that God created us with. I read yesterday from the, one of the words of science about the subject, a, a, a journal from a pediatric association said that girl, biological girls who try to be boys, in the course of this transition experience, one in two will attempt suicide. But yet at the same time, there's a push in our culture, and there's a demand to keep truth at bay, and politics is for some reason seems to be getting ahead of, uh, uh, of what science is telling us. God, this is the starting place of your happiness, friend. If God made you a biological male, that's the starting place for your happiness. Accepting who God made you to be. If you're a biological woman, don't try to be something you're not. Accept who you are. Come on. Created by God with a purpose for your life. Verse 5, God said, or Jesus is quoting Genesis, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. A biological male, a biological female, the two shall become one flesh. This is a physical picture, it's, but yet spiritual. It is not only sexual intercourse, but verse 6, what God has joined together. Now that's key because this is what God blesses. Marriage in America is pretty much anything you want it to be. But marriage that God blesses is between a man and a woman in a covenant relationship. Then Jesus said this, let not man separate. In other words, this is God's view of divorce. Don't separate. They said to him, and they asked a legitimate question, why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And then Jesus made a pretty startling statement. He said it was because of the hardness of your heart that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Mind you now, he's talking, in this case, to men. Uh, if I could give you a little, a little brief divorce history. In the New Testament era, it was rare, if ever, that a woman had the right to divorce under Jewish law. Roman law would allow a woman to initiate divorce. In Old Testament Judaism, in the times of Moses, a woman could not initiate divorce. And the reason that Moses wrote her this little certificate, because if she'd have been accused of adultery, the Old Testament law said stone her. And the man, as far as that goes as well. So divorce has kind of changed over time. In America today, we have no-fault divorce, which pretty much means you can get out for, for, for any reason. Uh, but Jesus said this. Jesus said, verse 9, I say to you, if you divorce your wife, except for sexual immorality. This is the exception clause where you can get out of your marriage and you can remarry and be blessed and marries another person commits adultery. Now, for many in America, and sadly in the church, adultery is not a scary uh, experience, but it should be. Now, let me give you, I, I asked the gods of Google about this. And here's, I, I just simply asked for some divorced facts. And before they gave me the facts, they made some money. And uh, an ad said this, do-it-yourself online divorce. We complete the forms, $159, thousands of happy clients. 
I've been a pastor doing marriage counseling for 40 years. I have not met many happy clients. People in divorce are in pain and heartache that is indescribable. People on the other side of it are living with the pain that never stops. I, I, I don't know of anything more painful and destructive to uh, the rest of your life than a divorce. Spouses and kids suffer. Divorce is the pain that keeps on giving. You say, oh, how would you know? I was 19 when my mother called me. I was in the barracks at Moffett Field, California. I was in the Navy. I was in a phone booth of barracks. I guess it was uh, 19. And my mother told me rather reluctantly at the end of our conversation, and she said, your dad and I are separating. What was actually happening is mom and dad were getting a divorce, and it, we never really talked about it as a family. My dad didn't talk, he and I didn't talk about it for years, though my dad deeply loves my mom now. He's on his third marriage. He loves her. He's going to church. My dad loves the Lord. He's committed. But it caused a struggle to a 19-year-old. I didn't just go turn the TV on. I went in the shower and just stood there and cried. I can't imagine what it does to a 6-year-old, 7, 8, 9, 10-year-old, a 14-year-old girl. I hear people all the time say when, 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 when parents are even arguing, the kids are say, you're not going to divorce mommy, are you, daddy? You're not going to leave us, are you? Now, ours has not been a home, Linnell and I, where we raised our voice, whether it's temperament or I don't know that it's great, my great spirituality. We just didn't raise our voices at each other. But there was a time or two when I would raise my voice, what's, what's the right, an octave or two. I would speak just a little louder to, con, to uh, convey my frustration. But all of my children at different times would tell me, Daddy, don't yell at Mommy, because your kids are real sensitive. Now listen, somewhere in this whole process, we're talking about you having a a good life, a happy life. We're talking about difficulties in divorce. I'm not just suggesting to you just, just suck it up and live with pain the rest of your life. But, but, but in most occasions, there's an opportunity to get some help and to reconcile. Because I'm telling you, friend, if you're able to do that, I cannot tell you how proud of you I am. And if you are recovering from a divorce, let me say it again, you are not a second-class person. But it is the pain that keeps on giving. And Satan will try to condemn you even today. And if you have any feelings, just look over at the cross and remember that divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Come on and put a smile back on your face. But it is difficult. Moses did not command divorce after adultery, nor did he even encourage it. But it was permitted. God allowed divorce because of hard hearts. A hard heart is a stubborn and obstinate heart. A hard heart refuses God's commands. A hard heart is insistent on doing what I want. Now I realize some divorces happen because there's violence in the home. Violence is inexcusable. And I would say, I wonder if there's any really big guys in the room here today. We could start a ministry in our church. Whoop your, uh, you know what, if you hit your wife. <laughs> Now, we're laughing right now, but there's pain out there. Domestic violence is always full because people don't know how to handle their hurt. They don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to forgive. They don't know what to do, and there's real hurt in the world. But can I tell you, friend, in the Christian community, there's real help. Between you and your God and your Bible, there's real help. Uh, divorce is not God's best plan. Uh, let me give you some biblical reasons for divorce and remarriage. 
Jesus, of course, talked about sexual immorality. Paul mentioned death. And when we talk about divorce, we're talking about remarriage with God's blessing. Uh, death. Paul also said, if there's an unbeliever that leaves, let him go. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, if an unbelieving partner separates, what's it say? Let it be so. In such cases, a brother or sister is not enslaved. In other words, if you're living for Jesus and you're doing your best, and usually it's the wife, you're doing your best to be a submitted wife, you're doing the best to support him and all that, but he just said, I'm tired of fooling with you, I don't want you to God, I don't want your Christianity, and he leaves, the Bible says, let him go. And uh, I would encourage you, if he leaves, get yourself healed up and pray for a godly man to live your life with. Now, if you're talking about what the Bible says about divorce and remarriage, that's it in the Bible. Now, let me talk to you as a pastoral counselor just a second. One of the uh, a sad things that comes across my way far frequently than it should is violence and abuse. I, my counsel to someone, if you're in a situation where you're being, where there's violence, uh, get out. Now, I'm not saying divorce, but I'm saying separate to protect yourself, to protect your children. Are you with me today? But you, when you separate, separate unto reconciliation. Separate for a season hoping that not only your protection, but he's going to get right with God. And hopefully he's going to come to himself. And hopefully your kids will have a daddy to be at home. Well, how many of this can go both ways here? And, and, and this, th th I can't cover all this. This is a complicated deal. And I simply want to tell you today, listen, don't let yourself get to the place. Well, sexual immorality is one, and, and if they die, I can't kill them because I go to jail. But that would be one if they would hurry up and die. And, and the third one, if they're an unbeliever, let him go. And the preacher said, well, if they're violent, I can leave my home. So I guess I'm going to go all the way down here and say, you know what? God just wants me to be happy. And if I'm not happy, I can't tell you how many Christians that I've heard say, God said that he wanted me to be happy and it was okay for me to get divorced. That is not the voice of God. Somehow we live in this world that says everything is just supposed to be perfect and everything is supposed to be great. Well, I can tell you this, married 35 years, uh, 60 now. Uh, when Linnell went through breast cancer, when I went through my, that dark time of anxiety, it just shakes your life and your marriage. And you know what? It might shake you, but you know what? I think we're closer today than we've ever been in our life. Because the difficulties that we walk through as a companion with one another made us stronger people because we've got a threefold cord. Come on. We've got Jesus, we've got her, and we've got me. And we're living this Christian life. And I want to tell you, God can make it work. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand. Let me head towards the close. Malachi chapter 2, a tremendous kind of summary chapter. It's Old Testament, but it's pretty powerful. It's written primarily to the man, but, but I think it's applicable to both uh, sexes. Uh, Malachi said, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, and you ask, why didn't the Lord answer, accept my worship? Now, what does that mean? You come to church, and you don't sense God's presence in worship. The preacher's getting worse week by week, so you go to another church, but it's not any better there. You just feel like God's a million miles away. And he asked the question, why? And listen to what Scripture says. It is because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. And you have been unfaithful to her, though she remains your faithful partner. It's out there. I talked to someone between services today, and they said, I wrestle with lust every day of my life. I looked at them, and I said, I do too. It is just in the world. And if you don't resolve in your heart that you're going to live a life of purity, it'll gobble you up. The Lord witnessed your vow. You've been unfaithful to her, though she remains your faithful partner. Didn't the Lord make you one? And notice what it said, the Lord make you. 
You can make yourself one with a prostitute today, physically. But the Lord makes you one. This is the sanctity and the holiness of marriage. The Lord made you one in body and spirit. You're His. Now we're going to add something new to the conversation. And what does God want? What's it say? Godly children. Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. The greatest gift you can give your children is to work things out between mom and dad. The greatest thing you can give your kids in the balance of your days is when you have stretching times and hard times that you make a choice to work through it. I cannot commend you highly enough if you have gone through the pain of, of adultery or other tearing things in life or violence or whatever it is, but yet you have come back. And together today you are married. On behalf of your children, on behalf of your grandchildren, let me say thank you and I am proud of you. Don't let the devil condemn you. Don't let the devil beat you up. Life is hard for everybody. And everybody makes mistakes for a multitude of ways. How many know, listen, it's not just because a guy's lusting that he goes after another woman. Maybe she's not being his encourager. All he needs is a cheerleader. The Bible says to love your wife as Christ loved the church, but then it says, wife, respect your husband, honor your husband. He's just a little boy trying to survive out in the world, and he needs somebody on the sideline saying, go baby, not why aren't you making me more money? Are you with me today? I mean, I mean this is, it's, it's, it's a complicated, it's not just because men are, you know, horny toads and they can't control themselves. This next phrase, verse 16, God says, I hate divorce. He didn't say, I hate divorce people. He says, I hate divorce because of the pain that it brings in our society. The pain that it brings to your children and your grandchildren. It is the pain that keeps on giving. You don't believe me? Listen, I, 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 my mom never remarried. My dad, again, married. He's on his third marriage. He's committed. He loves her. He's been married to his third wife longer than he was to my mom. But when we go home at Christmas, we stay at mom's house. Dad comes over and plays cards and has breakfast, even sees us open Christmas. But then he's got to go back to his house. And then we got to go have Christmas there. It's complicated. God says, I hate divorce. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. So guard your heart. This is where it all comes from. Don't be unfaithful to your wife. And again, I've said this multiple times, multiple times today. If you're divorced... Listen, divorce is serious, but it is not the unpardonable sin. Adultery is serious, but it is not the unpardonable sin. It will add complications to your life, but it is not something God can't forgive. And you know what you can even do? You can do a Romans 8.28 on it. You can start helping other couples that are going through the same thing that you went through. You can help people that walk where you were, and come on, you can basically put it back in Satan's face, and you can help people stay together rather than break apart. There's something good that can come out of it. Don't let Satan condemn you. If God has forgiven you, forgive yourself. And this is what we need. Listen, for 20 years, I, 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 there was a sin of my youth that I, I, I don't want to share it right now, but for 20 years I never told a living soul because I was so ashamed of it. And that was the devil's two-punch. First gets you to do it, and the second thing just gets you to wallow in shame for the rest of your life. Can I tell you, friends, that is not of God. That is not how that cross works. To whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Come on, give him a big hand today.
Let me conclude with, conclude with this, something practical, advice for a marriage that's in crisis, whether there's adultery or not. My best piece of advice, and I want you to listen to this, if, there, if your marriage is in a crisis and having trouble, the most important thing you can do is get closer to God. Before you talk to the lawyer, before you call the counselor, before you talk to the preacher, before you get on the friend to your mother, get close to God. Because, my friend, it is this tumultuous time in life. Don't make one of the biggest life-altering decisions when you're mad or hurt. You get close to God. Because God will give you the tenacity to see it through. God will give you the grace. God will give you the, the power. God will give you the ability to deal with your rejection and your hurt. God will help you in a way you could never help yourself. And the second thing, and hear me on this, if your marriage is in trouble, be careful who you are listening to. I cannot say this more strongly. If your marriage is in trouble, I would shut my ears to someone that was not a dedicated Christian. A dedicated Christian husband and wife for the two of you, or a dedicated Christian sister, or a Christian brother, uh, or, 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 or a third-party professional that can help you with life's brokenness. Because I promise you, if you're talking to somebody that's been divorced multiple times, that hates men, that knows the best divorce attorney in town that can get you the most money, if you're talking to that gal, you're not heading to reconciliation, you're heading to the divorce court. Okay, next week I'm going to read more from Reader's Digest. <laughs> Let me close with this. Never lose hope. Look at me before we go. Never lose hope. I don't care what's going on in a crisis in your marriage. I don't care what's going on with your kids or what's going on inside of your head or what's going on in your heart or what's going on with your marriage. Never lose hope in God. Wear out the pants, not just because you tore them and paid 50 bucks for tears on your knees, but because you got some, come on, I'm just trying to get you to lighten up a little bit, but because you spent some time with God. And I want to tell you, God can help you. I'll close with this story. A young man, this is a number of years ago when I was still agile enough to play softball. And uh, we were playing ball, and he started complaining about his marriage. He probably, I don't know, he'd probably been married maybe seven, eight years, long enough for the newness to wear off long enough for the routine to be there. And uh, he was telling me how he wasn't happy in his marriage and his sex life didn't make him happy. And uh, it was a very confidential conversation and I began to ask him questions and I just came to understand is, is he, he was expecting his wife to be something he'd seen on TV or in pornography. And he was expecting himself to be, back in that day, Clint Eastwood, are, are you with me today? That it's not a loving act of intimacy between a man and a woman. It's just, you know, raw sex. And his wife was not fulfilling his lust. And he thought making love to her, was it was actually a lustful experience. And she was almost a prostitute. And when we talked about what it means to love your wife in terms of sexual intimacy, that it's not just your feeling and experience but it's what you give her and it's what she experiences and he saw that there's a difference between lust and love he said pastor my marriage my sex life started off like that it went there and it went there but then he said when I repented of the way that I was treating my wife it started doing that because it wasn't just a lustful sexual act but it was making love to the covenant partner of my life and I want to tell you friends there's hope for any relationship no matter where it is or what's going on, because God is still a good God and He's bigger than it all. Come on, give Him a big hand today. He's worthy of praise.
It's over. <laughs> Why don't you stand to your feet today? I want you to just bow your head, and if your spouse is near you, I want you to just come take them by the hand. Honey, why don't you come up and take my hand? And before you rush out to have lunch, I want you to give God just a moment. And I want you to just bow your head and say, Okay, Lord, what are you saying to me right now? Because the Bible says we're not just supposed to be a hearer of the Word, but a doer. And I just want wonder what the Holy Spirit might have said to you in this message. Where were you convicted? Again, if you felt condemnation, I want you to just say, Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. And by faith I receive it. I am not a second-class person. But I just want to encourage you, particularly if you're single or married, I just want to encourage you to join me and let's commit afresh to sexual purity. If you're single, if you're a virgin, stay a virgin till you marry. If you've already slept with the people, stop sleeping with them until you get married. And do it as a holy thing because you're committed to God. And I want you that are married, just kind of give your spouse's hand a squeeze there and just say, Honey, it's just you. It's just you. And God, with your help, that's the way it's going to stay. So we'll end our life with a testimony of we've been married 40, 50, 60 years. We were a strong example and we kept our family. Just pray right now. Just say, Holy Spirit, help me. This is hard. It's not easy. I want all of us, all of us to pray right now that God would help us get closer to Him. That we wouldn't just try to fight lust because it's the right thing to do. and We wouldn't just fight it because we want God to bless us. No, it pleases the Lord. And because it pleases Him, we want to do it. So Lord, would you give us that kind of heart that loves you perpetually and deeply. Welcome in our, welcome in our lives afresh. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close this way. Our worship team is going to have one last song. We'll have our prayer team come forwards. We always pray in service, but because of communion today, we didn't get a chance. So if you have anything at all in your life and you want prayer for you come let somebody pray with you. No time constraints here. You just need to talk to somebody. We'll, we'll pray with you. But the most important prayer we'd like to pray is if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know if I died today or if I go to heaven or hell. I need to get right with God. Can I tell you, friend, there's nothing more important. You see, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. It might make you a better person, but it's not going to make you a Christian. Because what makes you a Christian is when you have, if I can use this cross symbolically, ask God to forgive your sins. And here's another second thing. Received Him as your Savior. I'm glad Mom made me go to church when I was a boy, but it was up here and not in here. And I remember when I was 19 years of age, August 15, 1976. They gave me a Gideon's Bible when I joined the Navy, and one of the verses in the back said, As many as received him, to those he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God, those who believed on his name. And I realized at that point that my Christian experience was more than just in my head, but I had to invite Jesus to come in my life, like receiving a birthday present. I can buy you a present, and it's, it belongs to you, but until you open it and take the wrapping off and say thank you, it's not yours. Well, that's the same thing you do with Christ. It's a very simple prayer where you ask God to forgive you. Ask Him to come in your life and commit to follow Him. And if you feel like right now the only two people in the room are you and me, that's because it's not me. 
It's the Holy Spirit trying to draw you to Christ. And I want to encourage you, when we begin to sing this song, and you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to encourage you to slip right out of your chair and meet someone at the cross, and they'll pray with you as you make the greatest decision of your life. Let's just begin to sing this last song. Prayer team is coming to the front right now. One last song, and if it's not an emergency, please hang on with us until you go. Give people a chance to respond to prayer. Most importantly, if you're coming to Christ, we'll see you at the cross. I love you. Thanks for being here.